Greetings, you're watching the online ministry from St Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. My name is Adam Draycott and it's great to be sharing this time with you. This ministry has been prepared for the 10th of April, the Sunday before Easter. And our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory.
Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, you have given the human race, Jesus Christ, our Saviour, as a model of humility. He fulfilled your will by becoming man and giving his life on the cross. Help us to bear witness to you by following his example of suffering and make us worthy to share in his resurrection. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, for ever and ever. Amen. As we come to the ministry of God's Word, our Bible readings today for the 10th of April are 2 Samuel chapter 9, Psalm 23, you could stand up and say that with whomever you're with, Psalm 23, maybe you know it off by heart, Uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 7 to 22. Uh, That last one is our preaching passage. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that as we gather this way, you would be at work by your Spirit, growing us in Christ Jesus. Show us the glory and wonder that is your Son, Jesus. Lead us in the way of repentance and faith, that we might glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who wants a seat at the table? Uh, Nothing better growing up, I've got to say. Having the family gathered around a table for a birthday or an anniversary. Christmas Eve was particularly good. Can you imagine five children? Uh, Dad was in his elements. Uh, Friends, whoever whoever was there. Mum would have always roasted a leg of something. Uh, baked potatoes, uh, us kids used to call it a glass of pop, uh, apple pie, custard, happy days. Being around the Draycott family dinner table was a thoroughly good thing. Did you see the family table in our passage here? And did you notice who the host is? The host is Jesus. We pick the story up at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. And he replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, made, make preparations there. And they found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. There it is. Notice Jesus directs all the activity. Every single detail is accounted for. Jesus here in this scene, he is chief orchestrator, chief director even down to this random bloke with a water jar and you go what's that about well apparently he stands out because he's the only man in town doing women's work so he should be easy to find Um, but it does it reads like sneaky sneaky undercover secret stuff doesn't it 
And there's a reason for that. It's because of verses 1 to 6, where we are told that Jesus' life is in danger. Yet here, in this next section, there is no power of hell, no scheme of man, no threat, absolutely nothing will hinder Jesus. He is determined. He sets the terms. He's the boss. Application, very quick application. <laughs> Can you see there is no contest when it comes to Jesus versus anyone? No contest, including you. No institution, no religion, no government, no contest. Jesus is the victor. He's the boss. He sets the terms. Now, what is he hosting? Well, verse 15, notice he eagerly desires to eat the Passover before he suffers. Maybe that grabbed you when you read it through the first time. It's a Passover table. Make no mistake. Uh, Passover or unleavened bread feast. It's been mentioned umpteen times already. It's got to grab you. And so notice very clearly that this last supper is a Passover meal. It takes our minds back to Egypt. Exodus 12, sacrificial lamb. Uh, remembers the blood shed uh, and painted over Hebrew doorways as God's judgment passes over. Bitter herbs that they eat at Passover remembers the, their embittered lives in Egypt as Hebrew slaves under Pharaoh. Pharaoh, ooh baby, let my people go. Yeah, 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 that's the song. Unleavened bread remembers the haste and the readiness to flee. Every generation since was to regard themselves as having come out of Egypt's bondage. And so they celebrate from bondage to freedom, sorrow to gladness, mourning to festivity, darkness to great light, slavery to redemption. And so let us say before him, hallelujah, that's the Passover. But wait, there's more. Yeah, there's more. Because Passover also became an occasion for looking forward to the future. A future redemption which God would bring through his Messiah. Because let's face it, here they are. Roman oppression now, that's no fun. Hey, can we get another exodus please? Maybe that goes through the Jewish mind. And so at this Passover table, Jesus is the host and he looks back in salvation history. But notice the next thing. Uh, so verses 14 and 15, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I eagerly, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Uh, see that the Passover table is now a king's table. It's a royal table or verse 16 I tell you I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God and so after taking the cup he gave thanks and said take this divide it among you uh, for I tell you again I'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes kingdom language everywhere now what does it mean in verse 16 
I'll not eat it again until the kingdom of God comes. Or verse 18, I'll not drink it again until the kingdom of God. Uh, it means three things. Uh, first one, Jesus is leaving. We know that he's about to suffer. Two, it means there's better to come when he returns. We enjoy kingdom benefits now, yes, through the cross. We enjoy forgiveness, peace with God. But did Jesus bring all of his blessings, everything all at once? And the answer is no. No, no. With the kingdom of God, there's a, a now, but not yet, aspect. The day has arrived. It's come in Jesus. And it's arriving, and it continues to arrive until it does arrive in its fullness, until the end. There will come a day when all the benefits of Jesus' life and death and resurrection will be fully realised, fully fulfilled at the fulfilment of the ages in the new creation at the end. And this is what Jesus looks forward to here. Jesus is casting our eyes to the royal messianic banquet table of the future. And you go, huh? Okay, well, have you been to a church wedding lately? Um, Tanya and I were at a wedding last weekend. It's a great joy and encouragement to attend and participate in a ceremony and then to go back afterwards for the feast at the table. The banquet table is all set out. And uh, you, you know, do you know, as you think about the image of a wedding ceremony, uh, that the bride and the groom act out a picture of the end. <laughs> oh, it's the end. Uh, it's a great shock for couples when you actually, when you prepare them and say, yeah, this is actually, this is a picture of that. And they go, what? And the, and the answer, picture of what? Well, Jesus is the groom. Hey, groom, you stand in the role of Jesus. You're going to lay your life down and give it up for the bride, your bride, whom you love. And the bride, look at the bride. She walks in glorious, resplendent. Um, she's the church. Uh, and she's been prepared in such a way that all who belong to the groom, she belongs to the groom, can stand before God spotless. She looks spotless. She looks pure. She looks radiant, without stain or wrinkle, holy and blameless. That is Ephesians 5. That is Revelation chapter 21. It's all there. In fact, Revelation 19 verse 9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. This is what Jesus points us forward to. The great wedding banquet. Where he will be the groom and his church will be the bride the wife of the Lamb. Now, it's a picture of full and final eternal deliverance by the Messiah. Even Psalm 23 gives us a glimpse. Because is there a table in Psalm 23? There is. You prepare a table before me. The Lord sets it. There's another guy doing it. Anyway, the Lord sets the table. My cup overflows. It's it's fully filled to overflowing. It's, and on it goes, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a picture of the end. It's a picture of ultimate kingdom deliverance. 
sharing in the presence of God. And so we sing before him, hallelujah. Right? And so can you see in this scene, they're sitting at a table that points them to the past. But the table also points them to the future and better things to come with the incoming of the kingdom. But then you must ask, what about the meantime? What about the interim? What does this mean meal now between the cross and Christ's return? Between this last supper and then the cross, which is the next day, and Christ's return? What does it mean? Well, this is the Lord's Supper, isn't it? This is the Lord's Supper. And because it's the Lord's Supper, because He's the, it's about Him. And so we see again, I said there were three reasons, didn't I, why he would not eat of it. And, well, he's not going to eat of it until the big banquet to come, but he's not going to eat of it because he's the host. And because it's his. And because it's about to be about all about him. He doesn't need to eat and drink in remembrance of himself, does he? Sure, as the groom, he'll turn up to the wedding banquet. But in the interim, he's... Jesus doesn't need to eat and drink in remembrance of himself. Like, yay for me, look what I did. It doesn't make sense at that point. You go, oh, that's very practical. Well, there you go. Verse 20. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And here it is. You know these words. You should know them anyway. The cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do you see that the Passover meal is being reshaped. It is being reformed and it absolutely points now to his death, his suffering that's going to happen the next day. It's, it's been reconstituted, reconstituted, I should say. Um, can you see that as Jesus does this, this is the shock because he's breaking with tradition. It's supposed to be, and it is a Passover meal, but the disciples are like, we're, we're, they're listening to what normally would be the Passover liturgy, which goes like this. He's supposed to say, this is the bread of affliction, the poor bread that our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. All who are hungry, let them enter and eat. All who are in need, let them come and celebrate the Passover. But then the shock comes because Jesus doesn't say that. He's got the bread and he goes, this is my body. And then he takes the cup and then he says, this is my blood poured out for you. Given for you. Which we know again points to his impending death. Sacrifice he's about to make. Do this in remembrance of me. The shock is that Jesus is now the focus of the meal, which means we're way beyond the, the old ritual of the Passover now. This is being transcended, um, even the cost, particularly the cost. What's the cost of a Passover? It's usually the death of an unblemished lamb, isn't it? But here we know that Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 is very plain. He is the once for all sacrificial Passover lamb. 
And so again, as we looked at Jesus, there's echoes of Passover, the night God took the life of a firstborn son in Egypt. But for Hebrew households, the blood of the lamb was given for that household. And in Jesus' death, here it comes, the firstborn would die. But not just any firstborn. God's firstborn. Now that's some cost, isn't it? And God's firstborn wouldn't just die in the place of Hebrew households in Egypt. Now he will bear the sin of the whole world. The sin of the whole world, he will bear it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, if you want to check that. Jesus' death wouldn't merely provide release from the enemy of Pharaoh or deliverance from bondage in Egypt. No, this lamb transcends all that because he will release you from the enemy of sin the enemy of death and the enemy that is hell. Jesus will die as the sacrificial lamb for his people, his bride, the wife of the lamb. The Son of God would, in his death, bear fully the wrath of God, the judgment of God for our sins in our place, my sin in my place, your sin in your place. Jesus will die as a sacrificial lamb. And this is what this meal will now remember. And so it is a new promise. And it is a new covenant. It's, it's like it, somebody described it this week as like an engagement ring. A promise that anticipates and awaits a bigger and better day in the future. And I think that's right. And because that's right, little wonder he says, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me as you wait for that day. Remember me. Don't forget what I've done for you as you wait for that day. And so as we remember Jesus, as we come to the table ourselves, as we participate, we know it's a great privilege then to come to the Lord's table. Who is it for? Very plainly, it's for those whose faith is in Jesus Christ, their King and Saviour. Just as each Hebrew had to trust God's promise that there was blood over the doorposts, that God's wrath would pass, so too we must trust in the blood of the Saviour. By his blood our sin is washed away. By his blood, God's wrath is turned aside. That he died in my place. That his death was for me. That's what we remember at the table, surely. And so question, application, as we think about this table business, is your faith in Jesus? Are you trusting him? And is your faith evidenced by a life of repentance? A life that is turned and faces Jesus. That in Christ, yeah, I have this new life. I have this hope. I have this promise. And so now that lives in me and through me and out of me as a new life lived to his praise and glory where I trust his word. Because he sets the terms, remember? No contest. 
Because he knows best, remember. And that means that we're faithful in prayer and we're committed to one another as his church, his bride. We're actually, as Christians, we can sit comfortably with the Saviour at his table. There's a picture. Is that you? You sit comfortably at the table with your Saviour, your King. So the table is, it is a symbol of fellowship and togetherness and love and unity and community. A unity not limited by the sacrament, not lived out only at the sacrament, but the sacrament speaks to what is true beyond that, way beyond that. That we are a community. And because that is true, we're never indifferent about the importance of being together and knowing each other and loving each other and serving each other. Because we're one, we're a body. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 is not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ. Absolutely, because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. And so Holy Communion expresses something that is fundamentally true. That which is true is our common union in Christ Jesus. Together, we're bonded by the blood of Jesus which means there's no space for individualism. Of course, that highlights a warning here because it's easy to enjoy this privilege of coming to the table. It's easy to enjoy the blessings of being in a community yet be be detached uh, and pretend. Partake yet pretend. Sure, we've seen that. Verse 21, But the hand of him who is going to betray him is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. Spot the Lone Ranger. There's a lone hand at work here whose allegiance lies elsewhere. His allegiance lies to himself. Don't be worried, though. None of this is beyond the sun. Jesus is not troubled or threatened by the presence of a traitor. He will even call him out. Betrayal is the design, yet Judas is no less accountable. He will stand before God to answer before his, for his betrayal and rejection. I wonder if you see the 23rd Psalm ringing here. The 23rd Psalm says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of whom? In the presence of my enemies. Meet Judas in this scene. Here he is. Is it still true at the end of the age? Is it true at the end of the age all of God's enemies will be powerless and put to shame, drafted, cast out? Matthew 25. So then I must ask, how about you? Where do you find your place in this picture? Who do you relate to? Or maybe you're thinking, oh, I want to be a guest at the table, but I don't deserve it. I'm not a Judas by any means, but I'm just inconsistent, Adam. Obedience is sporadic and rebellion is all too easy. And what do you say to that? Let me keep it simple. Repent. Change your mind. Give your allegiance fully to Jesus. Look again at the cross. Turn to him. Turn to the cross and see Christ. 
Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. See, the cost of your sin has been paid for. See again God's great love for you there on the cross and cast your allegiance to him. Join with other Christians who are able to say, yeah, I'm a great sinner, but I have an even greater saviour. And so I'm living for him. Here is Jesus' unstoppable commitment to rescue his people, people like you and people like me, from getting what we deserve. God's love is such that nothing will thwart God's plan to save his people through his son, not even you. He will save us despite ourselves. See Jesus determined to love you, to meet our desperate need for mercy, and see that he has done it. And if that is you, if you know that to be true, come and share at his table. Share with his people. Celebrate, rejoice. Remember all that Christ has done. Bondage to freedom. Sorrow to gladness. Mourning to festivity. Darkness to great light. Slavery to redemption. And so let us say before him, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Well, we enter into a time of prayer, and I encourage you to pray. If that's a challenge for you, uh, the Lord's Prayer is a great help. Start with that. Uh, find things to be thankful for. I think Luke 22 gives us much to be thankful for. Uh, reflect on that. And of course, uh, prayer is about asking God for things. Uh, petitioning uh, God for things. As we come to the Easter season, it reminds us we reflect on our own relationship with God. But it also uh, means that we're reflecting on those that we love. Who, who we long to come to the Saviour. Uh, and so it is right and fitting that we should be praying for all those uh, that don't know Jesus and don't love him and serve him. Um, I also want to encourage you to think about um, partaking in the Lord's Supper. Uh, you can do that at our services Sunday morning. Uh, great time together. It's not like it used to be, that's true, uh, thanks to COVID. Uh, but nonetheless, it doesn't change the meaning. And it's a very helpful thing for us to gather in a physical way, link, linked arm in arm, if you like, bonded by the blood of Jesus as brothers and sisters as we share and give thanks at the Lord's table. Uh, if you're not able to do that, of course, you could probably turn to something like 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26, and read that and partake of the Lord's Supper with whomever you are with. But the main thing you do is that you eat and drink, giving thanks and in remembrance of Jesus, our King and Saviour. Please also be praying for our missionaries. Uh, Persecution is a bigger deal across the globe uh, during Easter, and so it's a bigger deal for those serving overseas. Um, so please be praying for our missionaries, and please be praying for the persecuted church uh, that will meet, even though there's great risk uh, to um, of personal injury or even their, their very lives. Uh, so we remember our brothers and sisters uh, in such places, particularly at Easter.
Remember, if you would like to participate in uh, giving uh, information at the end of this video, uh, will be on the screen and we commend that to you as an act of worship. It's good to, to worship God with our lips, with our hands, uh, but also uh, our pockets. So we commend that to you. Let me close with the words of the blessing. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.